Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. In this episode, my quest for retro PC gear has taken me to REPC in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McCain. Well, long-time listeners may have noticed that we did not have the regularly scheduled extra last month. Well, they're always extra, extra. (laughs) But we did have a good reason for that. Dennis was doing something he hasn't done in quite a while, traveling to support the site. Oh, yeah. I was actually traveling for, yeah, fun to get out of town. You know, it's been like a year since I've been out of town. I feel like it's difficult to go anywhere right now still for obvious reasons. But that's beside the point because we did get a trip in. And Mm -hmm. so I think we should do a trip report. Trip report. All right. Well, so, do you probably want to know where I went then, huh? I, I think we should start there. So, so Dennis, let me start with a little background information. Okay. I would hope that you go back and check out the most recent string of articles and even a podcast if you need to catch up and know that Dennis has recently gotten back into the retro PC movement. Oh, yes. I've caught in the bug and I've gotten it really bad as you can see behind me, which nobody can see. Well, we've been talking for years on the podcast about how much hardware there is laying around and find different ways to make it useful and valuable. So I think retro PC movement is a natural extension. Yeah. And it goes along with the the vault that we talk about all the time and my desire to do a vault series where I pull out a piece of hardware, a piece of tech that I've reviewed in the past and talk about it on the YouTube channel, why it's in the vault, why it's special, what made this piece of hardware, what it is, and why we have advanced from it. Well, I know I'm looking right now at a stack of old motherboards. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah I brought those over just to tease Some them. of these, I had to even look close to see what they are because although they look familiar, it has been so dang long since I've seen them. Oh. So I get that you must have brought some stuff back. But before we get into that, I think mm-hmm. we should take a look. We've got a, a, a gallery full of pictures, and I want you, Dennis, to just kind of first start out with, uh, you know, the overview of the trip and then walk us through uh, what we see here. Okay. Well, longtime listeners will know that we are stationed in a sunny Meridian slash Boise, Idaho. Beautiful. Beautiful. And it, within an eight-hour drive, I can get up to Seattle, Washington. In Seattle, there is a store called RePC, and it's been there for several years. Like I think it started in 89, and it started as a computer electronics recycler. It reminded me of old uh, computer repair places. So we had several of them back in the day, and we talked about how they would take in your old computer, build you a new one, and then they would take your old one apart and then sell the parts on, on the shelf. So a person like me could go in and say, I need to get a 486 motherboard, blah, 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 or something like that. There would be something used on the shelf. I could pick it up for a reasonable price, match it with some other components that they also have on the shelf. This is all used stuff that was in somebody's computer. Take it home, put it together, and now I have a working PC. That process is why we kept talking about upgrades and why upgrading is such a big deal because... You could back then go, I want a new video card. We don't necessarily need to exchange the entire subsystem. We just go and take the card out, put in a new card. You can't really do that so much these days. 
Yeah, I think that's a really fiscally responsible as well as maybe environmentally responsible way mm -hmm. of doing it. So I'm not surprised a business like this would exist, although sadly in a larger market. Yeah. Well, and the market in general, like the one around here is actually, I'm not going to say it's very progressive, but it's transitioned to what is profitable. Computers these days are really designed to be disposable. So you buy a Dell machine, you can't actually repurpose a Dell machine because it's a special motherboard. You might be able to take the processor out, but unless you have a motherboard that that fits on, it's kind of worthless. So those computers instantly just go to the recycler who will go and sell them for scrap. So you don't really have this repurposing of computers. Well, the RePC has been around for a long time and they are doing the same thing that they've done ever since where they take in old electronics Sometimes they will fix them up. Sometimes they will part them out. They have a lot of stuff on display, like thousands of pieces on display. And behind walls in the warehouse is thousands more. Oh, wow. Of components that have come in that actually have not been gone through yet. And they don't necessarily want to flood their showroom with them. So they just have them in the back. And I took a bunch of pictures and I thought we would just kind of go through them. I will post them on Hardware Asylum, so be sure to go and check that out. Check out the article. I'll link it down in the show notes. Okay, perfect. So let's let's talk about this. All right, so I'm just going to go through the pictures. We'll, um, we'll pull them up. So this first one is a, <laughs> a large LED display. And this is basically it came out of like a, a clock or something. I mean, we have sensor, cal, fault. So it was some sort of display. The machine that it came out of got tore apart. So if you needed to put together an LED display, the whole controller's here. All you need to do is feed it some data. Oh, I feel like that could be a fun do-it-yourself if you were doing, I don't know, clock or reporting <laughs> clock speeds, maybe. <laughs> Something. And then, uh, oh, and the oldest piece of tech that I found was this radio. This is one, and I'm trying to describe this because you probably can't see them on the podcast, but we basically have like a 30s era radio so there's probably tubes in here i think you would call that a console like a console tv this is a console radio it looks kind of like a you know a chest of drawers actually it does down at the bottom you can see an imprint of where the speaker is and at the top is basically the the tuner dial you know it only has am the whole thing is in wood panel wood grain it's made out of, it's a wood cabinet that could be a fun cleanup retro thing for your office <laughs> it actually was really kind of cool i had really no purpose for it but right next to it was an old uh, crt television probably from the 50s i'm gonna guess black and white the it actually had the very similar cloth down at the bottom where the speaker was and you remember the the legs under desks were always tapered yes well these have tapered legs it's pretty darn awesome nice i see that one's not for sale they pretty proud of that ancient TV. You don't see those much anymore. No. And some of the items actually were on display just as display pieces. They were not for sale. Like they had a, uh, what looked like one of those plasma balls, but it had, um, LEDs in it. So it was one of those that would spin around and it would actually put out messages. Oh, cool. So it's actually kind of cool. Oh uh, my. Now this is an impressive, uh, uh, this almost reminds me of Fry's Electronics, right? <laughs> Except that these are all old motherboards. For right now, we're looking at a rack of motherboards. These are all tested. They come with processors, and they are clearly marked wrapped in a static bag. So they're as protected as they possibly can. 
And some of these are AT style, some of these are ATX. And there was a segmentation of the motherboards that were on display. So anything socket 775 or older was out on the show floor. Um, they had boxes of just processors. You could buy them for five bucks. It was pretty crazy. Now, anything newer than that was behind the shelf, uh, behind the console on the shelf uh, behind the behind the counter. Okay. So if you want the newer stuff, you have to ask for it. Yeah. Well, and the newer stuff was marked appropriately. I mean, we had motherboards that were listed for $150, which is really what they should go for with a processor. The ones out here, some of these are AT style. These were would range from $40 up to $120, I think was one of the largest ones that I saw. And again, these are old boards. Actually kind of fun. And in the uh, on the show floor, they had plastic tubs that basically had motherboards stacked in them. So you would just do a little file card catalog thing and you could find the board you're after. The picture here is of a 486. You can tell by the brown BL bus parts here at the bottom. Has memory already installed, but there's no processor. I love the sign, memory lane for old memory. Very appropriate. <laughs> yeah. And the pricing here was uh, basically you talk to Gene. Again, he's the manager of the store. And I think he was one of the retro guys. But basically, if the motherboard was in a static bag and on this pallet, it was guaranteed to be tested. If it was not in a static bag, it was actually a lower price, ideally untested. Um, motherboards that are outside of a static bag and handled by a bunch of people are just going to get subjected to static shocks. So chances are, even if it was tested and tested well, once it gets handled that much, capacitors and things are just going to break and it's not going to work. Well, I see from your picture here that some of the motherboards also have other components on them, particularly the memory. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing your mileage may vary there. Yeah. Speaking of memory, oh, here's another box of, of motherboards. Speaking of memory, we have three tubs on the ground full, and these are big plastic tubs full of 30 pin, 72 pin, and 168 pin memory modules. Uh, I haven't seen memory like that in quite some time. Yeah. And they're all priced, uh, one megabyte modules, 30 pin, $2. And the three one or four megabyte are three bucks. So everything here is what I would say price to move. It's not really priced for nostalgia. It's priced. So, Hey, we want to offer this to you. So we're not going to make memory absorbently expensive just because it's rare. We have a bunch of it. We're going to move yeah. it. <laughs> oh, that's nice too. Gives you the opportunity to play with it and makes it so you can absorb some risk, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the box in the back is uh, three and a half inch floppy drives. And I believe those were five bucks each, something like that. And they had all different brands and all different colors and everything. Here we go. Um, oh, look at that beast. There was a table in the middle that was full of basically AV equipment. Well, kind of AV equipment. They had uh, stereo receivers. We had record players like what was here. There was a um, reel-to-reel tape deck, which is right here. Cool. And I actually wanted to bring this tape deck home, but I'm, I know that reel-to-reels are notoriously hard to maintain unless you've done that before. And I really had no purpose for it aside from just putting it on the on a shelf and say, this is pretty yes, awesome. Very cool looking. And we have, oh, a plotter here. 
wide, well, it's a wide format printer. This isn't really a plotter. Okay, so this next picture is a huge metal box. It's basically a DECA Alpha Server 2100. Has no hard drives, no caddies. Uh, caddies are included, doesn't not power on. And the price, 125 bucks. As is, no but, warranty. But Could... this thing is huge. I mean, I don't know if I have the chops to put a DECA Alpha Server back together, but... Um, well, you could put a heck of a machine in that. Oh, yeah, you wanted you to do a stealth build. Well, I don't know if it's stealth. This thing is big as a car almost. I don't know. It's a big box. And then, oh, um, oh so, wow. so at the REPC, there are two stores. There's one in downtown Seattle next to where the, um, the Seahawks play. And the other one is in Tukwala or Tukwal, which is south of Seattle. They're about, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes apart. Well, at the one that's in downtown Seattle, they actually have a computer museum. So we went and popped in there. And uh, the picture here is of a Radio Shack TRS-80, which is the computer that Radio Shack released to compete with the Commodore PET, which was right next to it. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Now, next to it on the other side is the Apple II, which is the first computer that I ever used. Yeah, we had the Apple II, which is arguably probably one of the most important computers to be released during this era because it was one that was fairly open to the point where if you bought it, you could put expansions into it. They told you how you could program on it. The model TRS-80 from Radio Shack and some of the computers after that, they still had programming languages built into them, but they were really designed for specific purposes. And uh, like the Commodore and the Radio Shack computers were relatively limited. As you can see, it had a big 8-inch floppy drive on the side. And really, businesses were what these were geared for. Whereas the Apple II, consumer component. But we're going to spin through some of these. We have the, oh, the Texas Instruments, TI-99. This is one of the first computers I ever played computer games on. Yeah, I had one of those back in the day. It had the cartridge you had to plug in if you wanted to play a game, which was pretty awesome. And we had the Tandy Color Computer 2. This was what Tandy released to compete with the Apple II. It oh, actually it did has pretty a well. Joystick, cool. Yeah, these, my uh, Tandy 1000 SX, I've talked about on the podcast a couple of times, one of my first computers. It actually had that same joystick, a couple of buttons, it had a special port. It was pretty awesome. It even had trim controls where you could actually dial in with the way the joystick sat, which is something that not a lot of joysticks yeah, These did. days you only see that on like high-end flight sticks and stuff. Yeah. And we have the Commodore 64, the oh, other popular yeah. home computer. Many of the days I spent on that translating code from magazines. <laughs> oh, yes. I got to love that stuff. Now, in the center of the museum... I mean, they had other computers around, but those were some of the inter interesting ones I saw. In the center were old storage drives. Oh, wow. So all of the, everything here in this pictures, or she used the pictures, is a hard drive. And I'm not sure what the capacity was, but we have, uh, what is it, eight of them here on this table. And the one in the lower middle is one of the first IBM hard drives that came in the IBM XT. It was a full height drive. You hear us talk about full height and half height sometimes. Yes, and yes. Half height was basically the common floppy drive and the hard drives 
the three and a half inch drives or half height drives. Well, full height was a big monster and it was heavy. And then we have a couple of eight inch drives on display, which eight inch floppies are amazing. Basically huge, really. <laughs> and then they had uh, just a bunch of other old computers on display. Now, the Seattle store was almost completely different in terms of feel from the Tuckwall store. Tuckwall had a lot of the, I'd say the refined components where they had AV equipment, they had motherboards on display, they had cables, they had a bunch of industrial stuff around. The one in downtown Seattle seemed more like a, um, what would happen to Best Buy if they actually resold the stuff that they sold people 10 oh, years ago. No. So they had a wall of TVs. They have center sections of just cables, like any cable you could think of. They had uh, a couple of cases in the back, but they were really modern era cases. They had an entire area of speakers. And here we have bin after bin of video card. Like right here, for three bucks, you can get an AGP bus video card, which, you know, unless you're building an old computer that had an AGP port, you don't necessarily need one of these things. But again, they're priced to move. And then, of course, here's a picture of the outside. And then the next day, I went back to the Tuckwall store because I wanted to pick up some stuff that I saw. So I found a couple of motherboards and I brought those back. And these are ones that I had to talk to Gene about because they were not in bags. And I have basically a slot one board and these are baby AT. So they just have the AT plug in the back. But we have slot one with no AGP slot. And then I have a socket seven, which I think is the super socket seven that does have an AGP slot and supports SD RAM memory. And uh, according to Gene, the socket seven board was one that he had. And he claimed that, yeah, all these boards have been tested before they got put in there, but people kind of take them out of the bags and handle them and stuff. He claimed that they all worked and that the only problem he had with the Socket 7 board was that if he put a K6-2 in there, sometimes it wouldn't power on. That's interesting. But uh, when I got them home, they were both dead, unfortunately. Um, and... Uh, Surprisingly enough, uh, RePC has a warranty on everything that they sell. So had I lived in Seattle, I could just take it back and say, hey, I can't get this thing to work. It's actually dead. Well, I investigated it, and basically all of the capacitors on these two boards, they got handled enough that they are, they're dead, so they won't actually power on the board. So I believe if I go and use some of my soldering skills, remove the capacitors, I should be able to get the boards to work just fine. So Dennis, it sounds like a lot of fun projects in your future. I'm especially excited to see if we can get these motherboards working again as part of your retro PC experience over there. Uh-huh. But uh, you know, looking at the pictures is kind of fun, but I'm sure for the folks listening, they would rather hear a little bit more about how you felt about it. Was it worth your time? You know, what's that experience like? Oh, well, the best way I could describe it would be going into a thrift store. But instead of wall to wall of um, old shirts from the 70s and shoes and, um, you know, baby toys and stuff like that, it really is just um, like a garage sale of electronics. It's kind of, it reminds me of, well, for one, it reminds me of the way computer repair shops used to be, where you could walk in and there would be something on the shelf electronic related that you could actually buy and handle and ask them about, stuff like that. Um, 
But the fact that everything there is really just a warehouse. So we have tables after table of just components. And these are the ones that the, the staff has already gone through and verified that's working so that they actually feel good about selling it. If you don't see something that you want, you can go to any one of the people and ask them saying, hey, I am looking for X, Y, Z. And they'll go and ask, run around. Uh, they'll look in the back, see if something's there and come back and let you know if it's something that they can actually purchase. Um, I had gone in there asking about a switch for one of the computers that I need to build. And, you know, the first thing is that, hey, well, did you check the power supply section? It's like, there's a power supply section. <laughs> nice. Turns out that under one of the bins where there's a bunch of cables and stuff, there was a bunch of old AT style power supplies. And he goes and rips one of the switches off and says, is this what you need? It's like, no, I need the rocker style. So I had to show him a picture. He disappeared in the back for about 10 minutes and comes back. Click, click. Here you go. And it was the perfect switch. It was exactly what I needed. Would you call it a successful trip then? I would. And it's one that I would really like to take again, because while the stuff on display, some of it I was really interested in, some of it I really wanted to bring home, which is why I went back to pick up these two motherboards that were kind of a wash, but they're a project wash, which is good. But I didn't see a lot of like computer cases. Like I like those little retro beige boxes, even though I bashed on them as much. I, I really like them. Well, I saw a couple of them behind in the employee area, just stacked up on the corner. Well, they wouldn't let me take one of those home because they hadn't actually gone through it or decided what they're going to do with it. But if I go into the store a couple more times, maybe it'll actually make it out onto the floor so I can actually pick it up. You know, Gene is actually a great guy to talk to. If you go down there, actually tell him I said hi. He's very knowledgeable and actually wants to generally help. I mean, the the other aspect of the store, which is something I didn't necessarily talk about, was that they buy old electronics. They take in the recyclables. So instead of taking in an old Dell computer and sending it immediately off for, you know, metal recycling, they'll put it in the back and actually determine if the machine is something that they can salvage. If it actually needs parts, they can take parts off of a parts machine, put it together. And at that point, they'll have something that they can put out on the show floor and actually sell. Overall, I had a really fun trip and I'm looking forward to going back. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2021. Thanks for listening.